Well, we're going to continue in Colossians chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, if you'll turn there, we're going to cover three verses today, 8, 9, and 10 in Colossians chapter 2. Last week, we looked at 6 and 7. And uh, I watch these, you know, on my Facebook feed, these videos come up. And it seems like, I guess because I watch a lot of Joe Rogan clips. Do you all know who Joe Rogan is? Probably the most famous podcaster that there is. And I don't listen to his show uh, just flat out because there's, frankly, there's a lot of profanity in it. And I try to, that stuff shocks me when I hear it. Uh, But I find his show to be very interesting. The, The people he talks to, his general approach to trying to find out the truth. But there was a clip I saw yesterday of Joe Rogan and he was saying, you know, every job that you have, everything that you do in life, there's a manual. There's an instruction manual. And it tells you, here's the best way to do this. Here's the way to optimize your time. Here's the way to make this thing function. He said, and there's nothing like that for life. And the guy who had posted the video said, Joe, I actually know what the manual is. He said, there is a manual. There is something that we have straight from the creator, straight from the manufacturer that tells us the best way to live. And I'm going to even say a a better statement than that. It tells us the truth. Okay, because that's really what we need, isn't it? And, and during this, in, in this time in, our, in, in, the, in, in the history of man, the truth just seems to be one of those things that shifts. And what was true 30 years ago doesn't seem to be true now, does it? When you look at the things that people are trying to make us accept, and we can say this world has gone absolutely batty. And people are trying to make you accept things as normal that are not normal. And so you would say, well, what decides what's normal? What tells us what the norm is? What decides the standard? What decides what's right and what's wrong? If there is nothing, then I guess we're on our own and we can just make it up. But the truth is, truth is not relative. We've been been working on this with our teenagers, And Scott has done a good job. I've mentioned before the Bible study. You might just want to come up to it. I'm sure the kids wouldn't. Yeah, don't come. They don't want you there. Uh, Because we have snacks afterward, and they don't want you to eat their snacks. But if you want to listen to this Bible study, we might could do it in some other um, setting. And it's interesting what this uh, Bible study, the point that it's made several times, just kind of reinforcing, is that the only way that you can say something absolutely the only way you can really say, here is the absolute rule, is, is if you know everything that there is to know. Because you, it's really hard to say, well, all, there's no such thing as a green cat. Well, unless you've seen every single cat in the entire universe that's ever lived, you really can't make that statement, can you? You can't make an absolute statement unless you do know everything. Now, you can say, I'm pretty sure that this is the truth or this is the truth. But unless you know everything, you really can't make an absolute statement. Well, here's what we do with the Bible. You and I don't know everything. Think about how limited our experience. Think about how limited our life really is. You're only going to be here for this long, not even that long. You're just a vapor and then you pass away. You don't have enough time to learn everything to be making statements and making absolute truth claims about everything. But here, when we open up the Bible, we learn from someone who knows everything. He is the one who has all truth. And he is the one who has all knowledge. And he has given us in his word the truth. And we can count on it. That's a standard. That's information that comes from outside of you. You have an external authority, an external truth. You don't just have to follow your heart like the Disney princesses sing about. Because the Bible says your heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can trust it? Who can discern it? So I'm talking about the truth today. Do you know 
the truth. The other night I had a dream, and I've been having just just bizarre dreams lately, and, and, and most of them are really silly, like I'm trying to open up a document and I can't get it to open up in my computer or something. It's something stupid. But this dream was very vivid, and what I remember about the dream was I had said something or I had done something that got me in trouble. I wasn't here. I was at some country where they didn't speak English, and I think the language they were speaking was Spanish. But it was somewhere where Spanish was spoken. I had said something. I guess I might have been on a mission trip or something like that. And I had done something that had gotten me in trouble based upon something I had said that was apparently not to be said. And I was captured. And people came, and they were wearing uniforms. They had weapons, and they captured me. And they were taking me somewhere. And we were walking down a long road And by the road over here was a a fence, and I could tell that on the other side of the fence that that was a prison because there was barbed wire rolled on top of the fence, and I knew that's where they're taking me. And I didn't have the sense that I was going to be killed, but I had a sense that I had been captured and that I was going to be inside of that prison for a long, long time. And as I was walking down, realizing I had no choice but to go with these, these men, I just had this overwhelming sense of dread. And I've seen that before when you watch videos of people being sentenced. They've done something stupid. Perhaps they were intoxicated. Perhaps they acted out in a moment of passion. They made a terrible mistake. And they're sitting there in a courtroom and all the passion and all the drama has long since subsided and they are just there faced with the reality and the consequences of their sin and their crime. And they're standing there in the courtroom, and the judge pronounces a sentence, and he is going to effectively take away a decade or two decades or perhaps even the rest of their life. And I always feel for that person because I think now that they're thinking in their right mind, they would never have made those choices that they made. But now they're in captivity. I think, what must that be like to be told that you are going to be a captive for a long time? Well, that was the feeling I had. It was just that overwhelming sense of dread, realizing I was not going to be free. And I was going to be in a terrible place where I didn't understand the language. I was not going to see the people I love here on the front row. I wasn't going to be able to do the things that I love to do. And I used to go visit men in jail when I would, uh, was working as a defense attorney. And one of the things that I would think in my mind when I would sit out there for hours, just sort of you know, sitting out there in the visitation room talking with m- my clients, is I would think even how terrible it was that they couldn't even just go out and get a Dr. Pepper if they wanted because they were captive. And that does sound terrible, doesn't it? That is a great deterrent. A lot of us behave because we know we don't want our freedoms taken away. But what if I told you today that some of you in here are in captivity? What if you're a captive and you don't even know it? Well, you would say to me, if I'm a captive, I know it. But would you know it? Does a baby born in prison, would a baby born in a debtor's prison in Victorian England, would it know that it wasn't free? If it was able to go outside the house and go down into the yard and play in the dirt, we risk captivity in this world because we are born into this world. We're born into a world that defines its own terms in defiance of a holy God who does tell us the truth. What if being born into a world of materialism and godless philosophy, flat-out lies, and human traditions, what if being born into this world causes us to think captivity to these ideas that run right into the face of God's ideas? What if we're born into this world and we tend to think that the captivity to lies is normal when we should in fact be horrified by it? 
by the fact that we do believe lies, by the fact that we have sinful hearts that want to believe lies, that we have sinful hearts that find it easier to believe lies than to be devoted to the truth. Remember last week, we talked about receiving Christ and that we are to walk in Christ just as we received Christ, rooted and built up and established and abounding. And this week we move to verse 8. He says in verse 8, Colossians chapter 2, if you'll look at your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, I'd say there's one right in front of you, and it would help to look at the words so you'll know that I'm not just making this up, that I'm preaching to you right out of the Bible. And I may not be the best preacher in the world, but every single week I'll promise you one thing, I'll always preach right out of the Bible. Because what I, th- I could lead you the wrong way. I'm just a man. I don't know everything. That's the point I'm trying to get across. But if we will go to God's words, and if we will rightly divide them, and understand what it's saying, we can know the truth. And so if you are in captivity today, if you are a believer of lies, today you can become a believer in Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. He says, see to it. See to it is just one word in the Greek. The word is bleto. That word is a present tense command. See to it. It means it should be every day. It's a present tense. It's something that's habitual. It's a lifestyle. You should every day be seeing to it. It's an imperative word. It's, it's in the imperative mood in Greek. That means this is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not saying you might want to try this. God's word is saying, see to it. Do this every single day. See to it. It says, see to it that no one, and it's in the active voice, that means that you must do this. It's not according to your choice, but this is God's will for you. See to it as God's will for you every single day as a command, not a suggestion, that no one takes you captive. Don't be a captive. Don't be captivated, he says, by philosophy. Is all philosophy bad? No. But philosophy can be dangerous if it contradicts the Word of God. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Philosophers dwell on the truth. Philosophers try to determine what exactly is reality. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophies that tell you the wrong reality because then you will be living by lies and not by the truth. See to it no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. That just means lies. That just means lies. The words sound full, but they're empty. The clouds seem full of rain, but that's a cloud with no water. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, by empty deceit, according to human tradition. Are you listening to man's words or God's words? Is your life being governed by what God has said or by what you're hearing on television or on the radio or in the books that you read or in the newspaper or on cable television, whatever it might be? On the internet, is Facebook telling you the truth or are you reading God's Word? Is Twitter telling you the truth? Is Twitter teaching you how to behave or are you learning that from the Word of God? No one should take you captive by philosophy, lies, human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now what does that mean? Well, it means uh, different theologians have surmised that it could mean a couple of things. The elemental spirits at the time, earth, wind, fire, those sorts of things. And he was saying, don't be, yeah, someone's like, that's my favorite band. Uh, yeah, don't, uh, I wasn't talking about the band. Uh, <laughs> but there are certain uh, building blocks of creation. Elemental spirits is the way they were thought of in the uh, ancient world. And people might worship 
fire. They might worship the wind. They might worship the sky. They might worship the land. And we have a tendency, too, to put things that are created, things that God has created, sometimes we put those in first place. So we don't want to be taken captive by idolatry, worshiping what is created instead of worshiping the Creator. Or we could just think of the elemental spirits of the world, perhaps uh, some theologians do, as just the ABCs of worldliness, pride, selfishness, narcissism. He says, don't be taken captive by all these things that are not according to Christ. And then he turns to Jesus in verse 9. Don't be, don't be lied to. Don't be taken captive by all of these worldly thoughts that are not according to Christ. Fix your eyes upon Christ, for in Him the whole fullness. And remember, Paul's talking here about an idea when he uses that word fullness. The way the ancient world thought about all the gods. They had lots of gods. They worshipped all sorts of things. And they were happy to bring Jesus into all the different gods they worshipped. But Jesus came in and said, it's not a bunch of gods that are going to get you to heaven. I am again the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one God. And Jesus was proclaiming that he was that one God. That there aren't just a whole panoply of deities up there that are making things happen. They called that, when they thought of all the gods that were out there, all the things that you, you can worship, you know what the Greeks called that? The fullness. They said, all of those gods, that's the fullness. And Paul says, no, in Him is all the fullness. Jesus alone is the fullness. All the truth, all that man would ascribe to glory and to God, it's all there in Jesus. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus wasn't just a spirit. He came and took on flesh that He might be the perfect mediator between man and God. How was Jesus the perfect mediator between man and God? Because He was fully man and He was fully God. He was the perfect one to stand between us, to stand between sinful man and a holy God and make peace by His sacrifice on the cross. And God honored that by raising Him from the dead. And the promise is that if you will believe in Jesus Christ, if you'll believe that He is the Messiah, and that God raised him from the dead in approval of his sacrifice, that he took your sins, and he's willing to give you his righteousness if you will trust him. If you will do that today, you can be saved. If you are believing lies, today could be your day to know the truth. And the truth is Jesus Christ. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him, he tells those Colossians. You have been filled in him. You're in him, and you're filled who is the head of all rule and authority. What does that mean? You're filled in Him. Paul is saying that if you know Jesus, you are made complete in Him. You don't need anything, any philosophy or deceit or tradition or the elemental spirits of the world. You don't need anything else. Jesus is sufficient to give you all that you need. You are made complete in Him. You're filled in Him. Like we might drop a cup in a bathtub full of water. And that cup will be in the water and it will be filled with the water. That's the picture of a believer who's in Christ. Christ is the head of all rule and authority. Everybody needs a rule. You need that instruction manual. You need someone who will tell you the truth that you can rely upon because you are not reliable. You don't have all information. You don't have everything you need to make the decisions about how you will live. But Christ is the head of all rule and authority. He is the authority you need. Does your life reflect that? Or have you believed lies that have told you that you don't have to follow Christ and obey Him? 
Some people find it hard to go to church and stick with it. And they say, how can I be more committed? Some of you find it hard to write that tithe check. And you think, I want to tithe. I want to be faithful in that area. But it's so hard to write that check. And you say, how can I be more generous? Some of you go to work and you're an undercover Christian and you find it hard to maintain your faith and your profession at church and you're saying, I am a hypocrite. How can I be less of a hypocrite? Some of you can't stop using filthy language or thinking filthy thoughts and you're thinking, how will I ever be more self-controlled? Some are jealous, ruled by lust, greed, a love of things. You find security in things, in politics, in friends, in ideals. Some of you are ruled by idols like your job or your children or your spouse or your free time or your music or your movies or your television shows or the food that you eat or your children or your dreams or your lies or your secrets or your illnesses, your medicine, your addictions, your sports teams, your insecurities. And I'm only talking about me. I started thinking about all the things that distract my heart. I made a long list there, didn't I? And then the biggest one for me is I have got this desire where I really want to prove to everybody that I am somebody. And maybe you can identify with me in your struggles. Maybe as I've trotted out my struggles that are just common struggles to all of us, you say, I know those struggles. Imagine just for a minute that all the wickedness in my heart, what if it could be played for you up on the screens? You say, why are we listening to him? What if your sin was displayed on these screens. Or maybe if we had projectors everywhere on these walls of all the things that we think that are so ungodly, all the places we run that are not to Christ for satisfaction, for security. What if they were played on these screens right now? You know what we would all do? We'd either run out of here in shame or we would run to the altar and beg for forgiveness. But what can we do? What can you do? You've tried and you've tried and you've tried to change your behavior and nothing's worked. And some of you have been Christians for 30 years and you say, I'll never get my act together. 40 years, 50 years. Maybe you're a new Christian and you're overwhelmed. How am I ever going to get this together? Have you ever tried, have you ever tried Jesus as Lord? Have you ever stopped and thought about maybe what this verse is saying? He's the head of all rule and authority. What does that mean? Jesus is Lord. It's about believing something that changes your heart, that then changes your life. You don't just start to change your life so that Jesus can be your Lord. You acknowledge that he's your Lord and you let him change your life. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. Lord of my thoughts and my service each day. Jesus is Lord of all. Will you surrender your all to him now? Follow his will and obey. Crown him as sovereign before his throne bow. Give him your heart today. What makes the difference? What will make the difference in your life is if you stop being the king of your own life and trying to live out a Christian life under your own lordship and you will just stop and acknowledge I can't do this but Jesus is Lord of all there's something about a humble spirit that will accept Jesus at his word and stop trying to argue with him and stop trying to bargain with him and when you finally just say I'm going to submit to this and I know it's going to be a mess but Jesus is Lord of all you'll start to see some victory for in him the whole fullness of of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority scripture tells us this until you surrender to him you are just kicking against the goads if jesus is not the lord of your life right now you are believing a lie you are living by lies and you are a captive 
And maybe you're shocked this morning. You're thinking, I am a captive. But if Jesus is Lord, then you are called, you are commanded, and you should be committed to guard against lies. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Remember this, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You know what those strongholds are? Lies. How does the enemy work? How does Satan operate? He operates by lying to you. He operates by taking you captive by lies. And when you try Jesus as Lord, and some of y'all have never tried it, You said it, but that's a lie. You said, Jesus is Lord. He's not your Lord because you live by lies. Your your Lord are other things. Your Lord is other things. But if you will accept the fact that Jesus is Lord, if you will humble yourself, bow to Lord Jesus, and what you do, what that means, you're like, "How, how do I do that? Okay, what you do is this. You take the lies out and you put the truth in. You take the lies out and you you discern Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. That means you take out the lies. You figure, well, I'm believing a lie here. This doesn't line up with God's word. This priority of mine doesn't line up with God's word. You take that lie out. You get rid of it. You take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and it's gone. And then you put the truth in, and you begin to live by the truth. That's what it means for Jesus to be the Lord of all. You're living according to to him under his rule and his authority. And and what we have here is the scripture, which is the rule and authority. It's how we learn about Jesus, how we learn what he would desire for us to do. It's how we discern the will of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit uses the word of God to transform and form the people of God. So you can be one who lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, do I do that perfectly? No. I just confessed all my sins to you, but I know I'm, I know I'm facing in the right direction. I know I'm, I'm, I'm wanting that. And some of you, maybe I've just discouraged you. You thought, oh man, I, I really don't have it together. Well, let me ask you a question that will encourage you and comfort you and give you assurance. As I have preached this, what I feel is a hard word, and I told the guys in Sunday school, I said, I hate to get up here and just holler and badger people. I don't know that the, that the shepherd needs to beat the sheep up. I don't think that's good. All right? Sometimes we can bring an evangelist in here, and he can come in with a bully stick and do all that. But my job is to shepherd you and love you and to be gentle, right? Be gentle as a shepherd with a lamb. But sometimes we've got to be rescued, right? When the shepherd has the sheep on the, the cliff and it's about to die, sometimes he's just got to yank that thing back. So I told the guys, I, I, don't, I don't want to beat you up. So here's something I can say that might encourage you. Right now, as I've preached this to you, is your desire to follow Jesus? Is your desire for Jesus to be Lord of all? As I've said these things and you've thought, I'm not there, but I want to be there. Okay, that's the biggest miracle of all, right? The biggest miracle of all is that God has taken your sinful heart and he's changed it and he's given it different desires. And we may be a long way from where we want to be, but you're facing in the right direction, aren't you? Because your desire is for Jesus to be the Lord of your life. That's the miracle. That's the miracle that God has done. As he's changed us, we don't just want to use each other. We don't just want to live by lies. We don't just want to see how much we can get. We want Jesus to be the Lord. And so if God's done that work to change your heart and desires, and sometimes the hard preaching reminds us of what we really want. And if what our desire, if what we really want is for Jesus to be the Lord, that's a good thing. That means that there's conviction. That means that the Holy Spirit is living inside of us and saying, that's the way to go. Now, will you walk in it is the question. Harry Einside said, 
Christ is a substitute for everything, but nothing is a substitute for Christ. In other words, Jesus is better than everything you ever thought you needed. Jesus is better than those things you think you can't live without. Nothing can compete with Jesus. But the truth is, nothing is a substitute for Christ. That means if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. The thing you need the most is Christ. The thing you need the most is Jesus as Lord. Everything else is a very bad Lord. The problem is, is that the old man wants to believe the lies. The old man wants to be captive to those lies. And the enemy is so good at telling lies. The enemy can make the most captive person in the world think that they are free. And so my argument from the text this morning goes like this. You must be on your guard against captivity. You must be on your guard against anything that would undermine your belief that in Jesus dwells all the fullness of God, that He is the Lord of all. So my argument is you must be on guard against captivity and you should be captivated by Christ. Jesus said if you practice sin, you're a slave to it. (laughs) Two verses later, He said that if the Son sets you free, though, you are free indeed. If you practice sin, that's your master. But if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Who's your master? There's two kinds of people. Those who the Son has set free and those who are slaves to sin. There are those who will be welcomed by King Jesus into the kingdom and those who will hear the words, Depart from me, I never knew you. Consider your life this morning. I'll say something hard to you that might make you angry. But it's better for you to be warned now than to find out on judgment day that you don't know Christ. It's better to be warned today and be told, you're in prison. Just as I, in that dream, was walking by that prison. I could see it. I wasn't there yet, but I I knew I'm going there. Some of you are there. And it's better to be warned that you're in prison and be shown the way out than to stand there at the judgment when it's too late and realize, oh my goodness, I even went to church. I did all the things. I said all the words. I even got baptized. I did all the things. But I will be captive to eternal death forever in hell. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 7 is going to happen to some people. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, listen to this, on that day, that's talking about the day of judgment. And this is in the Bible. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. On that day, many, it doesn't say just a few. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. He said, everyone who hears my words and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. It had been founded on the truth. The truth is, Jesus is Lord. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. He was saying, here's the manual. Here's the guidebook. Here's the way you can know the truth. Here is the way, the truth, and the life. It's one of the most astounding things about Jesus, that he will judge the whole world and decide who will enter heaven and who will go to hell. 
And there's lots of people that love to talk about, oh, Jesus is great, love Jesus, love his teachings, don't love his followers. But do they really know what Jesus said? Because if I met someone that said, one day I'm going to decide who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, you'd probably think they're crazy, unless they rose from the dead. And then you might just believe everything they said. And that's why we trust in the authority and rule of Jesus, because of his signs, because of his astonishing teaching, but also because of what he did and what God did to vindicate him, to say everything he said is the truth. He said he would die. He said he'd come back in three days, and he did it. And if he did that, and you can trust him there, you can trust that everything he said is right. And one day he will be the judge. One day your soul will be judged, and the proof will be in the pudding. What you believe and what you are will be judged as worthy of the kingdom or not worthy. And if you're believing the world's lies, if you're captive to the lies of the world, oh, you'll be fine. Oh, God isn't going to judge you. Oh, there's no God to judge you. Just do no harm. Do whatever you want, because when you die, it all fades to black. That's it. Or if you're a good person and you act nice, everything turns out fine. Or all paths lead to God. Or imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no hell. Just live for today. Whatever these lies are that you're believing, when you're standing for, uh, before Jesus one day, there will apparently, according to Matthew chapter 7, be one criteria. Does he know you? The criteria is not, did you do a bunch of great things in your life? The criteria is not, how many times did you go to church? The criteria is not whether you got wed in the baptistry. The criteria is, does Jesus know you? Are you one of his? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. God's foundation, the seal on it, says this, The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let's cut to the chase. God knows his own. And the way that you know you are his is that you repent of your sins and you put your trust in Jesus. Many said, uh, uh, many will say, Lord, Lord. <coughs> and Jesus said, many who say, Lord, Lord, will never enter the kingdom. They will call him Lord, but their lives deny that he was the Lord. They were deceived. Maybe they lied to themselves. Maybe you're lying to yourself. But if you take a good look at your life, you will say, is Jesus the Lord or is Jesus not the Lord? I've confessed it, but I really believe it or not. Maybe people were deceived by the enemy. But either way, Jesus was not their Lord when they showed up there at the judgment. Their Lord was sin, and the wages of sin is death. If you trust Jesus for forgiveness and salvation, you are believing and you are trusting your life on the fact that He is the Lord. This is what Cameron has believed. This is what I shared with Cameron. Even a child can understand this. That Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died as a substitute for you. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He was raised to life on the third day. He's ascended into heaven. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. He's exalted to the highest place. He is the Lord and the ruler of all. And if you believe that, then you believe He's king and you believe that He is the authority. If He isn't the Lord of your life, you need to ask yourself a question. Do I really know Him? Does He really know me? And you might say, well, I know Jesus. I know the Jesus where I just come to church, I three, sing three songs, we start with a fast one, we sing a couple slow ones, we hear a special, I give my money, listen to the preacher, sing one more song, and then I leave here and I don't think about it again. That's not really knowing Jesus, is it? Knowing Jesus looks different than that. It looks like your life has a king, and it isn't you. It looks like a life that is shaped and is chasing after the things that please God. Not so you can be saved, but because you are saved. Be free from captivity and be captivated by Christ. So I've asked you, are you living by lies? Or are lies the Lord of your life? But now I'm asking you another question. Do you realize that true freedom is when you're captured by Jesus? When he knows you? 
Are you captivated by Christ? So be on your guard. Don't let anything lead you astray from Jesus is Lord of all. He is what you're looking for. You may not realize it, but He's the treasure in the field. And when you find it, you run and you sell everything you can so you can buy that field. And you can have that treasure. And you realize this is worth more than all the rest. That's why the man or the woman that you know who's really given their life to Christ, that believer you know who's got Jesus as Lord, that's why they have so much joy. They don't have as much money as you do. Their clothes aren't as nice as yours. They don't live in as nice a house. You wonder, how can they be so happy? It's because they have found the one that their soul loves. And they've found the one that loves them. Who's given everything for them. And though he is Lord of the whole universe. And there are billions and billions of galaxies. And billions and billions more stars. And every night he calls them all out by name. And you might think you're not important to this creator of the universe. But even one lowly sinner who's repentant, he's their best friend. Don't be captive, but be captivated by Christ.